Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is brought to you by Smart Pots, the original, lightweight, long-lasting fabric plant container. It's made in the USA. Visit smartpots.com slash Fred for more information and a special discount. That's smartpots.com slash Fred. Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. Who doesn't love a tasty mandarin? And one of the most popular right now among grocery store mandarins, it's a large, lumpy, but incredibly sweet seedless mandarin. There's a close relative. It's called the Sharanui mandarin. And many mandarin aficionados claim it's the best tasting mandarin ever that you can grow at home. That's according to fruit tree expert Ed Livo from tomorrowsharvest.com. It's Fabulous Fruit Friday, and Ed is here to talk about this taste treat from Japan. What's all that buzzing going on in many parts of the country right now? It's the emergence of what is being called Brood X, an unusually large occurrence of cicadas. Are they a threat to your garden? College horticulture teacher Debbie Flower has some thoughts on that. It's all on episode 104 of the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, brought to you today by Smart Pots and TomorrowsHarvest.com. And we'll do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. If you're familiar with those big, lumpy mandarins that you see in the grocery stores, did you know there are home varieties just like it that you may want to grow? And I know somebody who is growing it, and you just might want to get one from him. Ed Livo is with us from TomorrowsHarvest.com, a division of Birchall Nursery, and it's Fabulous Fruit Friday. And today, it's a big, lumpy mandarin, a seedless big, lumpy mandarin. Who, who doesn't want a big, seedless, lumpy mandarin, Ed? I'm telling you what... I- they're they're running for these things in the grocery store. I get it because once you eat one of these Sharanui's, I'll tell you what, you will absolutely want to run back for more. <laughs> they're great. All right, it's the Sharanui Mandarin, and it has uh, certainly become a giant of the Mandarin world. Yeah, it sure has. Um, you know, it was introduced in Japan called Decapon, um, and introduced in the United States as Sharanui. And um, these are these big, ugly mandarins that sell for, you know, upwards of four dollars a pound. Yeah. If you're lucky, a buck each. (laughs) Yes. All right. But but let's face it. It is seedless. It's a prolific producer and it's sweet. It's juicy and a lot of great meaty flesh. Yeah, you bet. And it's got a long hang time on the tree as well. Interestingly enough, in Japan, when it's harvested, it's actually harvested and then held off the tree for almost a month so that the acids will settle Mm. and the sugars actually even get more powerful. And so a lot of times when you do buy them in the grocery store, they've that acid has settled out because, of course, they've been off the tree for quite a while. But um, when you've got them at home, you can eat them as a slightly acidic fruit or you can take and let that acid kind of settle out and they become that really sweet, almost subacid mandarin that um, is so popular. What zones is it most appropriate for? It's going to be typical citrus zone. So it's going to be probably in that eight marginal nine, you know, nine AB. And when is harvest time for it usually? Uh, January. Okay, but it'll hang on the tree till what, April? 
Oh, man, it'll hang on until May or June. You know, there's a couple of mandarins that actually fall into this category. Like, for instance, the Pixie or the Gold Nugget, which are both outstanding mandarins. This is the era of the mandarin. These varieties, like, for instance, uh, I, Gold Nugget comes right up in January. I still have, I'm picking Gold Nuggets off of my tree right now. I've got more Gold Nuggets on there and I know what to do with. Uh, love them. Uh, the... Charnui actually has that same quality. It'll hang on the tree for quite a long time. I've picked gold nuggets right up until October. Whoa. And by then, the satsumas are starting to come in. As a matter of fact, by then, it acts like a satsuma because the gold nugget will be loose inside of its skin. Mm -hmm. um, and it's rather dry, but it still has intense sugar. Um, I had my cousin here from Connecticut um, in September a couple of years ago, and I was telling him about my wonderful uh, gold nugget mandarin in the backyard and he uh, you know he said oh man i'd love to try it and i went up and just happened to see one in the back way up in the top of the tree i got it i brought it down i gave it to him i said it's probably not going to be very good you know it's late september he ate it you know he's from connecticut mind you and he said this is the best piece of fruit i've ever had <laughs> 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 and that was the gold nugget mandarin and there are a lot of mandarin aficionados now who think well gold nuggets good but you ought to try this or that or this because the there's just so yeah. many good ones like you mentioned the pixie we can't forget about the page either and oh, the page now the page is not even a real mandarin what is it it's a mandarin crossed with a tangelo so really it's a tangelo is what it is Man, I'll tell you what, Paige is is one of the another one. That's just to die for. This is the era of the Mandarin, man. There are so many cool mandarins, you know, that are out there that are wonderful. I mean, we've come a long way from the Owari Satsuma. The Owari Satsuma, you know, probably has the claim to fame for adaptability of mandarins. It's the most adaptable. Um, but, I mean, who's to say? We, these other varieties are so new. You know, we haven't tested them in, in all the areas that the Owari has grown in. We don't know really which ones are going to do well you know, where so, but the Clementine, of course, which is associated with all the bag mandarins and the Clems are still wonderful, great home garden varieties, but we've got powerhouses. This is one that's kind of lurking that's coming on now called Lenova. Lenova is, oh man, is, it is so, God, so good. I'd like so, to put in a plug for one of my favorites that happens to be carried by Tomorrow's Harvest. I really like it because it has, like you say, a long hang time. And it's the Mihuwasi. Oh, the Mihuwasi. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that kind of falls into the Awari Satsuma, you know, category as well. The Mihuwasi. Right. Great variety. Great yeah. variety. I agree. There are many more Mandarin varieties you can check out when you visit tomorrowsharvest.com. But let, let's give what we're talking about its due here on Fabulous Fruit Friday, the Shiranui Mandarin. Which some would believe, some would argue... Uh, is the best of all the ones we just said. Ooh. All they would they would say the Shiranui is by far one of the best. And and I think our sales on Shiranui actually would confirm that if these people have tried this and are as satisfied, they're buying two and three at a time. So I'm not sure you're going to make a hedgerow of Shiranui mandarins. Could be be amazing. <laughs> All right. Check it out at tomorrowsharvest.com. The Shiranui Mandarin. You got time to answer a Mandarin question? Show enough. <laughs> All right. 
Kevin in Oakley writes in. Oakley is in the East Bay. I relocated my two-year-old gold nugget mandarin on October 30th last year to another location in my yard. It had fruit on it and seemed healthy at the time. I covered it with incandescent Christmas lights during cold spells in the winter. Everything seemed fine. When the fruit started to turn orange and ripen, I noticed that the leaves were turning a lighter green color. After a few weeks of noticing this, I pulled all the fruit off the tree. It was a little bit early, but they were still tasty. Because I thought that maybe if the tree didn't need to use energy on ripening fruit, then maybe it would help with the color. Well, here we are. Weeks later, I pulled the fruit off and the tree is officially losing its leaves. I'm trying to figure out if it's because of the transplanting in the previous six months or if it's because of something else. Do you have any ideas? I planted the tree in a raised box with lots of mulch because I have clay soil here in Oakley. I use a moisture meter so I'm not overwatering it. I fertilized it twice this year with an organic fertilizer, so I don't think that's the issue either. What could be the issue? I would like to go back to that transplanting and see if it may have all started there. I mean, without a doubt. Um, and, you know, let's let's just compliment him by saying this. He did everything right. OK, the timing. Let's see. He relocated. Oh, oh, he moved it in October. Yes. With fruit on the tree. Yeah. That's probably not optimal. <laughs> so, yeah, basically what the plant's doing is it's going through, you know, a, a shock. It's transplant shock. And and I, I'm looking at the picture now that you sent me, Fred. And so um, I'm not sure how old that tree was. I mean, how long it had been in the ground. There's a couple of questions I have. It, but when I look at this tree, this, this tree is definitely going through some shock. That's, that, that's, that's what it is. So more than likely, it's going to defoliate all the way. Really what you want to be careful about is overwatering it because that right now the root is going to be real, real sensitive to overwatering. You want to stick your finger down in that ground. Moisture meter, okay, but put your finger down there, down into the knuckle. Make sure that your surface moisture is on the dry side, not dry, dead dry, but just on the dry side before you mo before you water, because you really don't have a raised bed. You're not raised up that much at all, as a matter of fact. Looks like you're only raised up about six inches. And I think um, from my experience, I would rather, in clay soils, I want to be 12 to 18 inches above the soil line mm -hmm. for a raised bed. So again, you, the right idea, but... I just don't think that it was quite high enough. But that, he did whitewash could, it. Yeah, whitewashing's cool. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like I said, most of everything here, I would have I would have transplanted it more in like say February. Right. Okay. This year February would have been a breeze. It would have been perfect. And as a matter of fact, I just refreshed the soil in a 42-year-old Oroblanco grapefruit that I have in a container. I just pulled it out like last week and added new soil to it and freshened it all up. And and um, I waited, you know, until the late spring to do that because it's going to have a recovery that's going to take a while, too. It'll, it'll look like this. <laughs>
Yeah, I mean, that's chancy, too, if we get a spate of 100-degree days. Yeah, I mean, he's done everything he can. The the biggest problem you have now is I'm going to assume that when he dug this up, he dug it up. So literally, he damaged the roots. Yeah. Remember when I was just talking to you about root pruning and yes. how I don't like root pruning on citrus? This is what happens to citrus when you root prune it. He didn't root prune it intentionally. He dug it up. And so when he dug it up, of course, that root was damaged. And this is the result of that damage. So I guess it would be better if you're going to transplant citrus to do it with rising soil temperatures, not declining soil temperatures like you you would find in October, November. Absolutely. Right. I think that it can take a little while, you know, for that shock to set in. This is a this was a mild, very mild winter. I I think that probably as the heat came on, that's what happened. Just didn't have the root system Mm -hmm. to support the respiration that it needed. And the leaves started to collapse. You know, ironically, I would have expected more leaf drop than what I'm seeing on this tree. I mean, I see hardly any leaf drop, but I do see a lot of leaves that aren't being supported by, you know, a good vascular system in the plant. Is there hope for it? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. You know, as a matter of fact, you know, like if he's careful with the water, that's the most critical thing um, about citrus is that they are so temperamental about water and especially in heavy clay soils because you know the surface on heavy clay soils and he's got good mulch down you see that mm-hmm, yeah that's cool and heavy clay soils the big problem isn't so much the surface as it is down deeper where that's where the moisture doesn't move the water collects and in that area there's no oxygen and the root system has to try to grow into that area with no oxygen and it can't do it citrus don't does not want to do it it'll avoid going into those oxygenless zones completely citrus is very interesting for those of us here in zone nine but the one thing they do definitely do not like they don't want to be planted in the lowest part of your yard they they need some sort of height one way or another just to help drainage yeah yeah they do drainage with a citrus you know once a citrus gets established in, in a landscape i mean it's almost hard to get kill it and i mean they, they they're they're pretty tough let's just say oranges and lemons and you know your typical citrus sometimes getting them established that can be a little yeah. trickier and sometimes they can struggle, at, you know, just barely staying alive, looking ugly, not giving you any decent fruit, um, always in flower. Yeah. <laughs> That's indication that there's that they're help, help. I got to reproduce because I don't think I'm going to make it. <laughs> so, Kevin, so, there is hope. Yeah, there is. I think so. Don't do things like fertilize. Fertilizer doesn't help plants that are in this kind of condition. Mm-hmm. So just monitor your water. Um, I, I always tell people, do no, don't ever use water as a medicine. Good point. You know, if, yeah. you know, if a tree is wilting, your first inclination is to go run over and give it water. And the problem with that is, is that it might be wilting because it has too much water already. Yeah. So we want to identify the problem before you use water on it. Keep using that moisture meter, Kevin. Yeah, or or the, the I like the finger extended directly pushed into the ground to the knuckle (laughs) and feel it. You're trying to determine whether the surface is dry and your lower, the the, uh, ground below that is actually wet. Mm -hmm. And I I never want to water just because, you know, the surface is really dry. I always want to know what it's doing underneath that. 
Good advice from Ed Livo, tomorrowsharvest.com, and it's a division of Birchall Nursery. Go to the website, tomorrowsharvest.com. Find out more about the great mandarin we were talking about on Fabulous Fruit Friday, Shiranui, the Shiranui mandarin, and a heck of a lot more. Ed, come on back (laughs) next Friday. Let's do another Fabulous Fruit Friday. You know what, Fred? I think that sounds like a fabulous idea. All right. (laughs) Ed Livo, thanks so much. You're very welcome. You've heard me talk about Smart Pots, the award-winning fabric planter here on the Garden Basics podcast. They're durable and reusable. I've been using mine for five years now, and once again, they're being pressed into service in my yard. I have this problem. I, I grow too many tomatoes for the amount of allotted sunny space I have for them. So those extra tomato plants go into the Smart Pots. I place them in scattered areas around the yard where I know they'll get enough sun, which is a premium in my yard. And even five years later, I can pick up those Smart Pots, plant and all, and move them around without fear of the Smart Pot tearing or ripping. Smart Pots' breathable fabric creates a healthy root structure for plants. And Smart Pots come in a wide variety of sizes and colors. Visit smartpots.com slash Fred for more information about the complete line of SmartPots lightweight fabric containers. And don't forget that slash Fred part, because on that page are details of discounts where you can buy SmartPots at Amazon. Okay, now I understand maybe you want to see the SmartPots before you buy them. That's not a problem. SmartPots are available at independent garden centers and select Ace and True Value stores nationwide. To find a store near you, visit smartpots.com slash Fred. to answer your garden questions here on the Garden Basics Podcast. Debbie Flower is here, our favorite retired college horticultural professor. And uh, Debbie, we we have a note from Paige in Kentucky, Western Kentucky, USDA Zone 6B, she says. Thank thank you for that info, uh, Paige. She says, I planted two apple trees and two peach trees last year, and now I've just heard about these 17-year cicadas. I bought four blueberry bushes and two more fruit trees this year that I haven't planted yet. What can I do to protect the trees already in the ground? And should I try to keep the new trees and bushes in my garage somehow until the cicadas are gone? Or should I go ahead and plant them? I love your podcast. Thank you, Paige. Cicadas. I'm glad it's your problem, Paige, not ours. (laughs) Debbie, that's one of those pests that uh, enthralls us Californians when we go back east in the summertime. Yes, it is, because it's, although we have species of them, and some people call them cicadas, that's how I grew up oh, okay. in the East. Okay, we'll, calling do, them we'll do it cicadas. that way then, cicadas. Okay. We have uh, members of that genus, but we do not have the periodic emergences. The periodic emergence, which is occurring now, is uh, a 17-year one, I understand, mm-hmm. and they're calling it Brood X, and that means a whole lot of them, like millions, how, you had a number per acre, um, are coming out all at the same time. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, it was the University of Maryland that talked about uh, the 17-year uh, periodical cicadas, is it cicadas? Okay. Uh, c- cicadas that uh, basically crawl out of the earth and then immediately start uh, climbing trees and shrubs and the males uh, uh, start singing. And the next thing you know, uh, it's noisy. Yes, it's it's noisy. And those males are trying to attract a female with which they can mate. And then the female lays her eggs. And that's where the damage comes in. 
The female goes to young branches on trees. That's their primary laying site. And with her mouth, she puts a hole or a slit into the young branch of the tree and lays her eggs in there. And so that slit interrupts the flow of sap in the plant and can cause the young twigs to die. Interesting uh, that cicadas uh, usually damage oaks, maples, cherry, and other fruit trees, uh, as well as redbuds. Evergreens, according to the University of Maryland, are rarely used for egg laying, nor do they damage uh, herbaceous plants, and that includes vegetables. So it's really just young trees that are affected by this. Yes, young deciduous trees. Young trees that are, well, it said conifers, right? It didn't say all evergreens, so it could be evergreens. Um, it does say here about uh, evergreens are are seldom okay. affected, so so there's that. Okay, so they're laying their eggs in, in deciduous trees, and at this time of year in May, we're going to have new growth, especially in um, a zone 6B, I would expect there to be new growth on those trees. And that's the, so that must be just the perfect type of wood, type of stem that protects the eggs, but also allows the female to put uh, the hole in it where she lays those eggs. Interesting too, you might try to mulch them to death, but that doesn't work. We, we think of adding like three or four inches of mulch to suppress weeds, but it will not suppress uh, the cicadas. Uh, organic mulches spread around garden up to a three-inch depth will not interfere with the cicada life cycle. Prop up or remove any items in your yard that cicadas might fall on. Might fall on. Might fall on, yeah. Well, they do. They they drop. Uh, my one yes. big interaction with cicadas was on a bike trip across the United States, and one night we camped out in Wheeling, West Virginia in a park. And it was very mm -hmm. it was very noisy. And I'm glad I was in my tent because I could hear things dropping on the tent all night mm -hmm. long. So I mm -hmm. think that's what they're referring to there. Right. So the the female lays the eggs in those stems. And I assume she dies after that. That's typical in the insect world. And the male's already died. He usually dies after mating. And so that's just left with the eggs. And then the eggs hatch. And the first nymph or first young life cycle of the cicada comes out of that egg and they drop to the soil where they feed on sap from the roots. But apparently it is not enough damage underground to worry about that portion of the life cycle. The only portion that is harmful to the garden or to humans or pets, they do not harm humans or pets. So the only thing harm that these cicadas are causing is they're putting those slits in the young wood of deciduous trees and that causes it's the term is flagging uh and that just means a branch that's hanging in the tree but not doing well so you're seeing discoloration probably yellowing it might die turn brown the leaves might uh, shrivel up that that symptom that whole collection of symptoms is caused called flagging so you see flagging in the tree and that's an indication that the cicadas have used that tree as a place to have their family it's not recommended to treat for them Another uh, portion of your landscape that could be affected by the cicadas are ornamental ponds, and they should be covered with screening or plastic mesh to prevent them from accumulating in the water because 
Large numbers of decomposing cicadas could cause problems with oxygen depletion in the water. Yeah, <laughs> that would be yucky. Yes, it would be. But that screening, I mean, that that's the answer right there that Paige is looking for. That's how you would protect any of those young plants. And you'd want to use something with a, with a pretty fine mesh, probably, uh, what, maybe three-eighths of an inch or less. Well, the, the Maryland site suggests a quarter of an inch. The smaller you go, the, the less chance that they're going to get through that. So, yes, a small mesh, three-eighths to a quarter of an inch would work. Over A floating row cover would also work. That isn't a mesh. It's a spun fabric, but it would also work. And you want to totally surround the canopy and then tie it to the trunk. It's not like we're protecting them from frost where we want this to drape all the way to the ground and we want to collect the heat that's coming out of the ground. That's that's for frost, but for protecting from a pest like this, we want to wrap the entire canopy, which is the whole leaf area of the tree, in this uh, me- this mesh uh, or floating row cover and tie it to the to the tree. And you want to do this before they emerge. The goal here is that the cicadas don't get to those uh, stems on your young plant and lay their eggs there. And I guess you could use, in a pinch, you could use row covers or maybe a very lightweight frost cloth. Uh, just remember, you don't want to leave it on there uh, for too long. And uh, frankly, the, the netting, too, is temporary, too, because, what, they're uh, up and gone in, what, six weeks or so? Between two and six weeks, right. Yeah. So, it, so mark your calendar and then mark the six weeks out and then you can take the cover off. Right. Because you do want bees. These are fruit trees she's talking about, apples and peaches. You do want pollinators to get in there. And so when it's covered, the pollinators are not likely to get in there in order to get fruit. Although her trees are young, maybe she's not quite at that stage of fruit bearing yet. It can take a fruit tree a while to do that. But still, uh, a row cover uh, would work temporarily. And remember that uh, the the first course of action would be that small mesh netting. And you could leave that on easily for six weeks without... Well, I guess that, would, too, would interfere with pollination. Right. Yeah, unless there it was wind pollen. A lot of pollinators that are, can get through a quarter-inch... I can't think of any right off the bat that can get through a quarter inch mesh and and get to the flowers and and pollinate. So it could limit the ultimate production of fruit this year. But uh, she said she just planted them last year and that would be okay for the tree. It would help it be fine for these young trees and the shrubs. She's talking about blueberries to not bear fruit this year. It would help them to put most of the food into the roots, growing a root system that that plant is going to need to bear bigger quantities of fruit in the future. And Cornell University wisely points out that cicadas can be attracted to the noise of a power tool so its operator may become a temporary landing site for the insect. So keep that in mind as well. Debbie Flower, I think we did a good job for not knowing much about cicadas of answering Paige's questions. Thank you. Always a pleasure, Fred. Warmer weather means that fruit trees and berry bushes will soon spring to life with the promise of tasty, nutritious, fresh fruit for you and your family. So what are you waiting for? A website with more information? Okay, you've got it. It's tomorrowsharvest.com, your go-to site for a complete line of backyard fruit trees and bushes. 
Tomorrow's Harvest Fine Line of Fruit Trees is the result of 75 years of developing, testing, and growing. Three generations of the Birchall family have been at the forefront of research and development of plants of the highest quality, and all of these beautiful edible plants have been carefully cultivated for your home garden. Look for Tomorrow's Harvest Fruit Trees at Better Retail Nurseries. And if your favorite nursery doesn't carry any of Tomorrow's Harvest Fruit, Nut, and Berry varieties, you can order them directly from Tomorrow's Harvest. And when you order them online, they come in plantable paper pots ready for you to stick directly in the ground, pot and all. Let the Birchall family's three generations of experience take root in your home orchard, landscape and garden. Tomorrow's harvest. It's goodness you can grow. If you want to find out more about their nutritious and delicious fruit and nut varieties, visit tomorrowsharvest.com. The Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast has a lot of information posted at each episode. Transcripts, links to any products or books mentioned during the show, and other helpful links for even more information. Plus, you can listen to just the portions of the show that interest you. It's been divided into easily accessible chapters. And you're going to find more information about how to get in touch with us. You can leave an audio question without making a phone call. You do it via SpeakPipe. Go to speakpipe.com slash gardenbasics. It's easy. Give it a try. If you're listening to us via Apple Podcasts, put your question in the ratings and review section. You can text us questions and pictures or leave us your question at 916-292-8964. That's 916-292-8964. And you can email us, fred at farmerfred.com. And please tell us where you're from because that'll help us greatly accurately answer your garden questions. Because after all, all gardening is local. In the show notes, you'll find links to all our social media outlets. That includes Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Also, you'll find a link to the FarmerFred.com website. And thanks for listening. Garden Basics comes out every Tuesday and Friday and is brought to you by Smart Pots. It's available just about anywhere, and that includes Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. And for Northern California gardeners, it's the Green Acres Garden Podcast with Farmer Fred. It's available also wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and leaving comments. And thanks for listening.